This week on Blue 58, the Packers are on their bye week licking their wounds after two straight losses, and we've got a lot of questions. Are there any reasons for hope? Will Mike McCarthy take the training wheels off Brett Hundley? And what personnel decisions led the Packers to this point? Plus, we check in on the curious case of Demarius Randall. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of the Power Sweep Com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and we've got a jam-packed show for you today on this bi-week edition of the show, so let's dive right in. This one, uh, not a headline on thepowersweep.com, just something that happened moments before we came on air for this recording session. Packers making some personnel moves, signing receiver Max McCaffrey to their practice squad and releasing Don Barclay from uh, injured reserve. Not super surprised that they got Max McCaffrey back in the building, I know they liked him a lot in the preseason. He certainly had a lot of success in the preseason. I don't really know if they have any sort of long-term plans for him, but he does seem like a relatively nice player to have around, and there's really no risk in having him on the practice squad either. Just a nice guy to have around and gives you some more options there. Well, another receiver like Michael Clark and D'Angelo Yancey, uh, to a lesser extent, sort of develop on the practice squad. Barkley, to me, the more interesting one here because I think there is a chance that by releasing him, they do maximize their options as far as bringing someone back from injured reserve. Since they will have to do an injury settlement with Barkley here, uh, there is a chance they could still bring him back down the road at some point in the future, whether it be six weeks or so from now. Um, I'm not sure if they do that, but at least the opportunity is there. And this way, they don't have to make the decision on the amount of people they activate from injured reserve. I think it's also possible that the Packers have seen enough from these young offensive linemen that they've used instead of Don Barclay as depth, uh, guys like Lucas Patrick, Justin McRae, and so on, uh, that they feel comfortable just moving on from Barclay altogether. He was a pretty low-cost uh, free agent signing this offseason. They re-signed him this offseason. And it doesn't really cost you that much if you just cut ties with him now. Um, I think they have options with him going forward, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Don Barkley again. But now they do have those, those more options as far as bringing somebody back from injured reserve. Let's dive into this Sunday's game or last Sunday's game, however you want to put it. The Packers lose to the Saints at home at Lambeau Field. And I just feel nothing. <laughs> I tried to put into words the reaction that I felt to this in my notes for this podcast. And the only word that I could put in there was, uh, if that even is a word, disappointed but not surprised is how I would summarize this loss to the Saints. If you read our preview to this game, I predicted that the Saints would win this one relatively comfortably. The score really didn't look super comfortable for the Saints, but it didn't seem like they were too threatened with the Packers after they pulled within a point. Uh, on their first drive of the second half. First half went pretty well for the Packers. I think about as well as it possibly could have gone for the Packers, uh, barring a couple of things that we'll talk about in a second. On the whole, though, the offense, there is no disputing the fact that Mike McCarthy absolutely did all he could to hide Brett Hundley, and he picked some really odd times to do it. Uh, one play that really comes to mind is a third down play in the fourth quarter with the Packers down two. Um, they needed nine yards to get a first down. They were on their own 11-yard line. Yard to gain is the t- or line to gain is the 20-yard line in this situation. All four of the receivers that the Packers put into the route ended up well short of the first down marker. 
This was, to me, emblematic of the play calling for the entire day on offense. Mike McCarthy just going unusually conservative. Maybe he was hoping that you could just give Hundley very simple reads and allow guys to work with the ball in their hands after the catch. That may be true if you read charitably into it. That may be true, but the fact of the matter is the Packers were so conservative that it almost didn't matter what Hundley did. It was just a really odd decision, and it it cost the Packers in a couple situations. We'll touch on two more of them later on. On the whole, though McCarthy did seem to be hiding Brett Hundley, Hundley also did not do a whole lot to help help himself. If you go back, and even in in his highlights, you can see this, Brett Hundley is very much a see-it-then-throw-it kind of guy. You don't see a lot of anticipation from him. He looks to see if a receiver is open, and then if that receiver is open, he throws the ball. And generally, that happens to be Hundley's first read. Um, He did not make a lot of terrible decisions on Sunday, save for that interception late in the game, and I think the, the, the game was lost at that point anyway. Packers down nine with four minutes to go and no timeouts. I mean, come on. The Pretty much no chance for Hundley there. That that would have been a miracle if he had pulled off a comeback there. Maybe with Aaron Rodgers, but with Hundley, absolute miracle. I don't really care about the interception that much, although it was a bad throw. On the whole, he just didn't do a whole lot, and he didn't have a lot of opportunities to do a whole lot. It was, it was a questionable game plan, I thought, for McCarthy. On defense, big disappointment in the second half. But really, uh, uh, overall, hard to find a whole lot of fault with this defense. I think if you would have had Aaron Rodgers on the field on Sunday and you hold the Saints to 26 points and Drew Brees a passer rating of 84.4, you would absolutely take that seven days a week and twice on Sunday. That would be phenomenal. You would easily win that game. And I think if the Packers had Rodgers out on the field on Sunday, they would have easily won the game as well. Consider this. Drew Brees has played Drew Brees Drew Brees has played in 239 career NFL regular season games to this point. And his rating on Sunday, like I said, 84.4, the 87th worst. Essentially, you've got Drew Brees in the bottom third of his career on Sunday. If you can get Brees in a day like that, I think you've had a pretty good day. As far as the the defense against the, the running game was concerned, I would be much more concerned about how the Packers defended Alvin Kamara than how they defended Mark Ingram. It took Mark Ingram 24 touches to get the 110 total yards that he had on Sunday. Uh, Kamara had something like 109 or or in that neighborhood, about as many yards uh, as, as Ingram did from scrimmage, so running and receiving, in just 14 touches. He got a lot of yards and he got them in a hurry. That is concerning to me. So the question coming out of this game, is this something that's going to improve? Are we going to see a better Packers team after the bye? Again, in one word, kind of that meh feeling. Um, The Packers on offense, and really as a team, I think, are going to live and die by Brett Hundley. I don't think there's any arguing that. Two quotes from Mike McCarthy showed me that it might be die more often than live with, with, with Hundley. Someone during his news conference on Monday asked if he was being too conservative with Hundley or or trying to hide him at all, and here's what he said. Jason said something about conservative. I mean, define what's conservative. I mean, is it because is it a run past that, or I, I mean, is it? Four passes that I mean, we had we had the ball fifty plays. 
Well, so you, get, you know, if you're going to put that, you know, part of your valuation, which which we do. So, you look at how many dropback passes he had. That's where you know majority of our time clock things were. We, we weren't very clean there. The action passing game where he his footwork was perfect and come up. We had protection issues on to him. So, you have to take in all the information. You can't let him feel the way of the world. That's part of playing a position. I get that, but just stay in tune with what he's being asked to do. A couple things about that quote. First, McCarthy mentioned this several times during his news conference, that the Packers only had 50 offensive plays. Well, you only had 50 plays on offense in part because you were really, really bad on third downs and you got ultra conservative on those downs. We already mentioned that one in the fourth quarter. Three others were really bad as well. There were two very key third downs for the Packers uh, right away in the game, and they both happened after Drew Brees' interceptions. On the first one, the Packers have a third and one, and it looks like they try to do some kind of run-pass option play uh, where they have a run called, but they also have a, a pass route available if the quarterback wants to pull the run and throw to the, the usually something like a quick slant or something like that. Hundley did that, but threw into a very sort of tight coverage with, with Devontae Adams, and, the, and the, the pass was knocked down. I don't think it was a great read by Hundley, and I, I think he probably should have just stuck with the run. So pretty conservative play call. Hundley fairly aggressive, but but not not a great situation to put Hundley in. If you, if you think you can get the third down on the ground, go ahead and do that and, and put all your resources into that. Don't don't put the the run pass option on the table. The next third down play, Packers are in third and one, relatively deep in their own territory uh, after the second Drew Brees interception. Um, the Packers go two tight ends, a fullback, and a running back and one receiver in the formation. That's not particularly relevant. Heavy personnel, right? They are telling the entire world that they are going to run the ball. And the thing is, they only have eight blockers in the formation. You're five offensive linemen, two tight ends, and a fullback. What do the Saints do in response? They put nine guys in the block or in the box. They stuff Ty Montgomery in the backfield, and the Packers have to punt. They get absolutely nothing uh, out of these two gift interceptions from Drew Brees. If that's not ultra-conservative, I don't know what is. Uh, it's very, very weird, and it, it is almost like you're trying to, to hide Brett Hundley because in, especially in that second situation, you're putting him in, in a situation where there is no, no threat of him doing anything other than running the ball with Ty Montgomery. Unless you're doing a, a pretty slow-developing play-action pass, Hundley is no threat to throw, and the Saints knew that. That's why they put nine guys uh, right up by the line of scrimmage. That third third down that I mentioned, uh, later in the game, there is a third and 14 play. This one may have been in the second quarter. I'd have to check for sure. Um, they uh, Third and 14, uh, they roll Brett Hundley out using sort of a moving pocket. And you do this sometimes to simplify reads for quarterbacks. I don't know why you do this on third and 14, though, because 14 yards is a lot of yards to gain, especially in a day where it's wet and sloppy and a lot of variables going on with a new quarterback in there, why would you want an ultra-simple read when you need 14 yards? It doesn't make any sense. So on this play, Hundley rolls out to his right with the rolling pocket. He's got plenty of protection. But you can see nothing is developing downfield because he just rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls and keeps rolling and just keeps going. And finally, he kind of runs out of real estate on the sideline and just has to kind of try to rifle one down the line and hopefully connect to somebody, it falls incomplete and the Packers have to punt again. 
Very unusual play call, I thought, on a third down there because you're eliminating so many reads for Hundley by moving him to one side of the field so he can only throw to that side of the field. That that doesn't make much sense to me. So it seemed like, yes, absolutely, he was trying to hide Hundley. And I'm not sure he, he – did he just not want to answer the question? Probably, but it, it was an odd answer to me. The second quote um, scared me a little bit. See if you can see why. Is the game plan – uh, as big as it was the week before, absolutely not. And uh, frankly, it's going to get smaller. So uh, we need to be more creative and make sure that uh, we're giving him the things that he needs to do. But you have to be in tune where his training is and, and what he's done and, and fitting a time clock at a perimeter. Because at the end of the day, when you call a football game, you got to get the ball to your playmakers. And we didn't get that done yesterday. So coming out of a game where you more or less hid your starting quarterback, you're saying that the, the game plan is going to get Going to get smaller. Smaller. Oh, okay. Um, that is confusing to me. What does that mean? Uh, does, when you say you need to work to his skill sets, are you going to include read option? Are you going to do uh, some some really, really simple reads so he can do all of that? What is a, a smaller game plan than what we saw on Sunday? I don't know. That's a little bit scary. We need to move on. We've spent too much time on this one already. Uh, second headline for the Packers for from thepowersweep.com, uh, Morgan Burnett pretty much proving himself indispensable for the Packers at this point. They are so bad on defense without him. Uh, the record 5-7 and seven in, in 12 games without Morgan Burnett since 2013. They have given up more yards generally without him on the field, more passing yards, and specifically more points. Um, in short, uh, the, the, the points one is interesting to me because they go from giving up 23 points a game without him on the field to 24 uh, when he is on the sideline. Um, during that same stretch, the Packers averaged on offense about 26 points a game. So by losing that just one point, you go from the Packers being a field goal winner in every game to being within a field goal of losing every game without Burnett in the lineup. That's a pretty big deal. Burnett being out of the lineup puts the Packers in a really bad situation in the short term and the long term. In the short term, you hope he gets healthy and you hope that he can help the Packers' defense improve uh, as they head into this middle and later portion of the season. Long term, though, things get even worse. Um, he is a free agent after this season, and normally that wouldn't be a big deal. It would be an absolute no-brainer to re-sign him, and you would think that they would, given his role in the defense and the success that he's had uh, with the Packers. But he's going to be 29 years old in January, and he's already one of the top 20 highest paid safeties in the NFL. To top it all off, he's the only one in the top 20 who is going to be a free agent this offseason. He's going to be expensive. Somebody is probably going to be bidding against you for the services of Morgan Burnett, and you're going to have to pay a premium for a guy who is into the back half of his career. I don't think even Morgan Burnett would dispute that. When you're turning 29 as an NFL player, you are far closer to the end than to the beginning. You might have five years left. You might not. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of 34-year-old safeties in the league. It's possible, but it, you're, you're looking at diminishing returns at that point, and I think, I think Burnett would say that too. I do think the Packers kind of have to resign him because what are their options otherwise? You have Josh Jones, who was potentially drafted as a Burnett sort of replacement, but I don't think he's shown that he is capable of uh, sort of playing up to the, the sort of role that Burnett plays. And haha Clinton Dix certainly hasn't elevated his game in Burnett's absence. So what are your other options? 
well, nobody really on the roster because you've got Marwin Evans and Kentrell Bryce, fine players for what they are. But again, not sure they're ready for Burnett-level responsibilities. So then you're looking at the draft or another free agent to bring in. I sure don't think the Packers are going to go out and try to sign a free agent who they think can can fill the sort of roles that Burnett does. And you're not going to find anybody short-term in the draft who can uh, fill the variety of roles that he can either. So it almost seems like you have to hope for a hometown discount for Burnett here and hope that he comes back. The Packers have been lost without him on defense. You see communication issues left and right, and they just seem, like I said, absolutely lost without him. Hopefully he comes back soon. I don't know how close he is to return because he hasn't been even showing up to practice recently, which usually means things are really bad as far as an injury. But if he can come back after the bye, that would do a lot towards at least steadying things on defense for the Packers. Final headline before we dive into our main topic uh, for this week is is something that we we have to to talk about in terms of uh, saying thank you to you, the listener of Blue 58 and the reader of ThePowerSweep.com. I recently got an email from a website called Feedspot. They are an RSS service, uh, basically trying, trying to take over for Google Reader. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. That's not the important part of the story. But according to their, their research and the traffic numbers that they put together, we are one of the top 100 NFL websites on the internet. That is just tremendous. I don't know how we got there, but it wasn't all because of us. It was because of you, the people who are reading this site and listening to what we produce here. It's really amazing <laughs> that we got in there at all, but it's entirely due to you. I mean, I started what became the power sweep uh, from my bedroom in an apartment in Janesville, Wisconsin, because I needed a distraction um, from a stressful job uh, as a news reporter. So I, I decided I would do something I enjoyed writing and do it some, about something I enjoyed, the Green Bay Packers, and my original site, which morphed into this, was born five years ago. Nobody read it for the first year and a half that I published anything. I think it took me a year to get 10,000 page views on the site. Uh, page views are a dime a dozen. You can get a lot of page views in a short amount of time if you just make like slideshows and things like that. Page views are nothing. Now, thanks to you, the people who are reading this site, 100,000 people have visited this site in 2017. We're only 80% done, or so, with this year. 100,000 people. That's more people than fit in Lambeau Field. That's staggering to me. Who are you people? I don't mean that as like a negative thing. I mean like, who are all these people that are coming to this website? Obviously, we put a lot of time and effort and work into this, and we think we're producing something good. But it's still amazing to me that people are reading this. It's a lot of fun, and it was really humbling and exciting to see so many people uh, showing up to our site that we get recognition like this. So big thanks to you, and uh, we will keep trying to produce a lot of great stuff so that you keep coming back and maybe we end up higher up the list uh, next year than we did this year. They put us at number 73 uh, this year, which was pretty incredible. Maybe next year we could be even higher up the list. I'm astonished. I'm having a lot of fun with this, and I hope you are too. Before we dive into our main topic here, I do want to to bring one thing up. Uh, for those of you who may be new to Blue 58 and the Power Sweep, we always tell people 
Uh, our mission is to make everybody a smarter Packers fan. We don't have the time or the resources to cover absolutely everything about the Packers, but what we, we want to accomplish is help you become more informed about the team in ways that you may not be getting uh, from the traditional media. Like I said, like I just told you, I've been doing this Packers thing online since about 2012, and it's grown beyond what I ever could have expected, as I think I just expressed to you. But here's the thing about growth. It does get expensive. Um, we're a pretty small shop here at the Power Sweep. It's me and it's Gary, who isn't on the podcast anymore, although he will be joining us next week. Spoiler alert, uh, if you were, you were hoping for that surprise. We need your support to help us reach more Packers fans like you, the listener, and like me, the guy who is trying to be interesting on the internet. We would love for you to partner with us uh, on the website, patreon.com. Give us a buck a month to cover the costs of running both the blog and this podcast, and we will give you our absolute best each and every week uh, to bring you that coverage in the highest possible level that we can. Patreon.com slash the power sweep a buck a month. It's a great way to connect with the show. Your generosity and support means a whole lot to me and a whole lot to Gary. We have a link to this in the show notes um, on this 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 post when it goes up uh, at thepowersweep.com. And you can find us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Uh, brand new thing there. If you join us uh, pledging $1 a month to support what we're doing here, you will get 25% off of everything that we ever sell via our Teespring store. So that's T-shirts and hoodies and coffee mugs and stickers and phone cases somehow. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. They get our logo and, and all of our the stuff that we make on all of their stuff. It's great. Check it out. You can get 25% off if you choose to support us on Patreon. And you can support us for any amount of time. You will have that 25% off forever. Consider it. Uh, think about it. Patreon.com slash the power sweep. Heading into the bye week, I thought we would talk a little bit about decisions. Decisions in football are simple but very complex. Here's what I mean by that. The decisions are usually pretty binary. You have one thing or another. You keep one guy or you cut him. You sign one guy or another. It's not usually the sort of situation where you have like 12 different options and you have to just pick one of those 12 or some combination of those. But those decisions are complex in that they tend to have far-reaching consequences. Keeping a running back, for instance might prevent you from keeping someone else at a different position. And I didn't pick running back for this example by accident for reasons that you will see in a little bit. Evaluating those decisions is going to be in large part a matter of defining what those decisions are not about as much as what the consequences of the decisions were. For instance, one decision we are going to talk about involves the Packers drafting Kevin King as opposed to T.J. Watt. Now, I, I frame the, the decision that way as, as King versus Watt, but as you'll see in our discussion, that's not really what the decision was. We'll explain that in just a little bit. You have to make sure you define what a decision is not before you, you can talk about the consequences. Also, when you're evaluating these decisions, you have to evaluate it given what we knew at the time, 
think back to the 2016 offseason or the, the offseason preceding the 2016 season. The Packers decided to not re-sign Casey Hayward after his more or less pretty okay 2015 season. Packers had a lot of depth in the secondary. They had two high draft picks there, a promising undrafted free agent in Ladarius Gunter. Sam Shields was still playing. You could let Casey Hayward walk, probably. Well, as it turns out, Sam Shields uh, had another concussion. Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins had the 2016s that they had. Ladarius Gunter got burnt to a crisp. And Casey Hayward went on to have a great 2016 season. At the end of that season, of course, had you known things were going to play out like that, you probably would have re-signed Casey Hayward. But given what we knew at the time, it was still a defensible decision. So let's take a look at a few of the decisions in terms of personnel and free agents and things like that that have affected the Packers so far this year. Let's start with the offensive line, specifically T.J. Lang versus Drury Evans. I recently learned that's actually how he prefers to have his name pronounced. This was not a direct decision. The argument was not, do we keep Lang or we keep Evans, or do we sign Lang or do we sign Evans? They had a lot of decisions to go through whether they signed Lang. Then they had to decide whether or not they were bringing in Evans. But it does boil down to the Packers having Lang or Evans, so I think that still works for our purposes. I can't really speak to how Lang has played so far this season, but one thing I do know for sure is Evans is a heck of a lot cheaper. I also know for sure that Evans has probably been the best lineman on the Packers and certainly the most steady through the first seven games of the season. If the number one availability or a number one ability a player can have is availability, he has been the best lineman on the Green Bay Packers and signing him has been a huge win for Green Bay. I don't know if we'll get to next season and still think that having him around was better than having Lang, but I do know that having Evans instead of Lang, both this year and next year and the year after that, does provide you a lot more flexibility in terms of finances. Moving on, another free agent decision, the, the move to not re-sign Micah Hyde. This one is one I've seen come up a lot recently in the last couple weeks because the Packers have had some struggles in the secondary. The Packers elected not to re-sign Micah Hyde, who did a five-year, $30.5 million deal with the Buffalo Bills. It made him the number 15 highest paid strong safety in the league. The Packers at the time were looking at an impending contract for HaHa Clinton Dix and for Morgan Burnett. In fact, they're still in that situation. And even in the next couple of, couple of years, they have a couple other uh, contracts coming up. Devontae Adams for one, Corey Lindsley for another. Currently, Micah Hyde is tied for the league lead in interceptions. But I still think this was the right decision for the Packers. Free agent contracts can't be evaluated on one year alone, and I don't think Hyde was going to fix what's wrong with the Packers secondary this year, particularly with how they used him sort of as a slot guy, a backup safety, um, kind of a poor man's Morgan Burnett. He might have helped a little bit with Burnett being out, but I don't think he would have helped their overall issues in the secondary because I actually think they need more outside guys, uh, think Kevin King and Devon House, than slot guys. I think you would prefer to have the money that the, that the Bills spent on Hyde, if you're the Packers, go towards Devontae Adams and Corey Lindsley. I would take having those two over having Micah Hyde any day of the week. A couple other free agent decisions this past offseason. These two will be quick. Eddie Lacy and Dayton Jones. 
moderate outcry over letting both of them leave, although I think more for Jones, more hand-wringing, I would say, over Jones than Lacey. Well, Lacey, so far this season, has 109 yards on 36 carries. He's only been active for four games this year and has been a healthy scratch in a couple others. Big win, I think, for the Packers just moving on there, though I think he could have been a useful player here still. Dayton Jones, on the other hand, who boy, yet to be active on game day once this season, despite spending training camp with the Minnesota Vikings and a couple weeks with the Lions, he is now with the San Francisco 49ers. A bit of a rough turn, I would say, for Dayton Jones, the former first-round pick. Uh, we talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about draft busts for the Packers, and I said I wasn't quite ready to, to put Dayton Jones in the bus camp yet. I feel like I have reached that point now. He seems like a draft bust. Speaking of the draft, let's circle back to that T.J. Watt and Kevin King decision that I talked about earlier. This one is one we're going to be talking about for years. I have a fear. <laughs> Maybe a feeling more of a fear. The Packers this past spring traded out of the 29th spot in the first round to drop down to number 33 and picking up a fourth-round pick for their trouble. The, the Browns traded into the 29th spot and took a tight end. Not part of our discussion. The Steelers, however, took T.J. Watt at number 30. And supposedly for the Packers, it came down to Watt versus Kevin King and a little bit of Dalvin Cook sprinkled in there too. That was the decision. So far this year, Watt has been good. Pretty good. Four sacks and an interception so far this season for the Steelers. King has only played in six of the seven games, has started four, and the only notable stat he has racked up so far is one pass breakup. And just one pass defense. Defended. Defensed. Defensed is actually the term. I always feel like I need to correct myself every time I say it. This year alone, just this year, in seven games, heading into the bye, I think Watt has been better than King. But that qualification comes with a few caveats. The Packers, at the time of the draft, remember, what did, they, what did we know at the time? Really needed help in the secondary. Second, sacks are great, but not all sacks are created equal. And just looking at his sack numbers does not give you a full sort of look at how T.J. Watt has played. So it may be better than his four sacks. It may be worse. Just keep that in mind. Third, it's worth mentioning that the Packers have not gotten a full payoff from this trade just yet. The actual trade or the actual situation isn't Watt versus Kevin King. It's Watt versus Kevin King and Vince Beagle. The second pick the Packers picked up in this trade was used to take Beagle at the start of the fourth round, and we have not seen anything from him yet. So that is going to be a huge factor going into this evaluation, both now and and in the future. It's not just Watt versus King. It's Watt versus King and Beagle. Keep that in mind. Another decision. This one date back to this, this preseason. Devontae Mays versus De, uh, Taysom Hill. This was suggested by a reader. John in Sheboygan uh, emailed me this one this week. Packers decided to keep four running backs coming out of training camp um, pretty much instead of three quarterbacks. Uh, they ultimately cut Taysom Hill and Joe Callahan. Hill was claimed by the Saints. The Packers ended up with Callahan on the practice squad. Who would you rather have, though? Devontae Mays, the number four running back, or Taysom Hill, the number three quarterback? 
Right now, you would probably say Hill, and I think that's a defensible position. But that's not how we're, de- how we're fully evaluating these decisions. Given what we knew at the time, what was right? A couple facts to consider. I don't think there was any chance that Hill was going to make it through waivers. Had a big preseason, extremely athletic quarterback. Somebody was going to take a chance on him, and the Saints did. Even though he's in his upper 20s already, a guy that athletic, you'll, you'll roll the dice and see what you get. It's not going to be a long time you'll have him, but he's a heck of an athlete while you do. Uh, Mays was a draft pick. That factors into this equation. Even though he was a seventh-round pick, he was still a draft pick, and Hill was not. Packers do give preference to their draft picks. It's also worth pointing out that the Packers were not going to dress three quarterbacks on game days, barring something really unusual happening. That just doesn't happen. The Packers don't do it. However, also worth pointing out that the Packers have not gotten Mays involved on offense at all. He has purely been a special teams body and not much of one at that. He's only been in on special teams for 20 snaps so far this season. I think dating back to training camp, you still pick Mays and you don't think about it all that much. At least there's a chance that he gives you something on Sundays. You can have four running backs active and it's not that unusual. The odds are are that he'll never would have suited up on Sundays had Aaron Rodgers stayed healthy. But right now, I think you would rather have Hill than Mays and it's frustrating that they don't have that option. But hey, That's just how things work out sometimes. Uh, That's football. That's the way it is. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Let's wrap this up with a discussion on wide receivers because this was a weird situation in training camp, and it's been a weird one for the past couple seasons. Um, In training camp, the Packers had five guys fighting for what we thought was two spots. You had Jeff Janis, Trevor Davis, Max McCaffrey, D'Angelo Yancey, and Malachi Dupree. Janice and Davis, the two last men standing, they made it. But we have circled back to this today um, because McCaffrey rejoins the team now as a, as a member of the practice squad. First of all, I don't think anybody would have predicted that, uh, that Yancey would be gone altogether, not on the practice squad. So that's a bit of a surprise. Um, I think the Packers have maximized this situation by getting McCaffrey and Yancey back on the practice squad they both seem like they, they have some potential moving forward. But the interesting thing to me is that the Packers have essentially chosen to not play Davis or Janice on offense at all. I don't know if either of them has cracked a dozen plays on offense so far this year, and neither of them has been involved in a situation where they touched the ball so far this year. I don't blame them the last couple of games for going with a simple offense and not getting Janice and Davis involved, but... These guys are special teams players only, and that seems like a, a, a huge luxury for a team with some big holes elsewhere on the roster. It'll be interesting to see if both of them stick on the roster throughout the entire year or if both of them somehow figure out a way to get involved on offense moving forward. While I've got you here, let's try to answer one last question about the about the Packers. This one came to us via a reader on Facebook by the name of Alex. He wants us to discuss whether Demarius Randall is lucky or good. A few weeks ago, we spent an entire episode or a large portion of an episode talking about whether Demarius Randall was a bust. Well, since then, he has had an interception in every game that he has played. The first one uh, came in week five against Dallas. 
the second in the next week against Minnesota, the third uh, in week seven against um, the Saints. Let's consider the evidence for lucky or good based just on these three interceptions. So that first pick, the pass deflects over receiver's hands, goes over that receiver's shoulder, and lands right in Randall's lap. He is off to the race, to the end zone, scores a touchdown. This is a pretty good play, but it is also pretty fortunate that he happened to be right there to make the play. I'm going to say that one was as much luck as being good. The second interception was a tipped ball, this time by Blake Martinez. If you watch the film of this play, Demarius Randall has to literally take just two steps forward to catch this ball, and it's another interception for him. The thing is, a better throw on that pass or a better throw on that play is probably a touchdown. Martinez made a tremendous play to tip this ball, but if you look at the coach's film of this play, and maybe I'll post a, a picture of this in the in the show notes, a better pass, given the defen- uh, the position of the defenders, may score a touchdown. I'm chalking this one up entirely to luck because if not for Blake Martinez making this play, there is no Randall interception and there's probably a lot of bad things happening for the Packers. The third interception this past week against the Saints, easily the best play of these three. Randall has good coverage and I'm not sure what Drew Brees is thinking when he throws this ball because Demarius Randall is absolutely in the receiver's hip pocket at the time of the throw, turns around, the ball is right there, he catches it, great interception, fantastic play from Randall. This one, indisputably, a good play. So is Randall lucky or good? Well, in two of these three plays, I would say he's lucky. But the real question to me is whether or not that's actually a bad thing. Would you actually just rather, in some situations, be lucky than good? You can't dispute that Randall has been in a situation these past few weeks where he's been pretty much a week-to-week player. You have to find your way, uh, figure things out. He hit a serious low point against the Chicago Bears, and it's been figure it out from there. He's come up with some big plays in that stretch. Interceptions are huge. You really can't overstate the importance of of interceptions, the importance of stopping opposing opposing drives, taking points off the board in the case of that breeze interception, that that pass was either in the end zone or very close to it. His momentum may have carried him into the end zone. And in one situation, he put points on the board for the Packers by taking that interception back for a touchdown. On top of that, you got to be in the right spot to be lucky a lot of times. It seemed like in all three of these, these plays, Randall was doing his job when he got lucky. That can't be overlooked. You got to be doing your job a lot of times to get lucky. In fact, that's a lot of what leads to perceived lucky plays is just a guy doing his job really well and something happens. As a bottom line, I don't know if he's he's doing any better overall, but he's certainly made some really nice plays. He might be lucky, but it's turning out to be pretty good for the Packers. I think that's about as neat a bow as I can put on it. That's all for this week here on Blue 58. If you want to find us, you can do so at thepowersweep.com. You can also look us up on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for The Power Sweep on both of those fine websites. You can also reach us via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you would like to choose to support us, you may do so at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Check us out at teespring.com as well. You can find links to our sh- our shop on teespring at thepowersweep.com. And if you wouldn't mind, give us a review on iTunes. 
uh, that would go a long way towards helping others uh, find the show and see what a great one it is, at least hopefully in your mind. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make the Power Sweep and Blue 58 better, helps me be better, helps us provide a better experience to everybody, and ultimately helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you right back here next week on Blue 58.